from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest edition of the Trojans Wired podcast, the podcast which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wired, part of the College Wire Network. I'm Matt Zemek. He's Ian Hest, co-host and producer. So just uh, a little note before we get started here, and it's game week, it's the end of the Lincoln-Riley era, week one of the of the new season, but like Ian and I have not sat down for two months because we did the Riley Files, that 12-part series we hope you've been enjoying it listening to it and also reading our articles in which we chop up uh, the different quotes from our oklahoma insider keegan renault who did such a fabulous job uh we we recorded those four hours of conversations at the very end of june and in early july so it's been two months for ian got a well-deserved summer break uh he's covering uh, miami's uh, professional soccer team doing an outstanding job there uh ian can tell you all about that involvement uh, and where you can find his work uh, covering Inter-Miami. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a deserved break from Trojan's Wire because of all the heavy lifting that Ian's done. How have you been, buddy? It's good to be back with you, Matt. I, You know, we, we have the East Coast vibes here, but it's always a, a little more relaxing when I talk with you in the West Coast, the best coast, as they call right? I'll get in trouble for saying that. But uh, it's it's fun to, to be a. Uh, has anything happened to USC in the past couple months? No, I'm, I'm just joking. Uh, no, I very wonder exciting. what. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Um, so excited to get to talk to you again, and excited for another college football season. Absolutely. So you know, as we we'll do a little bit about Rice, but you know, mostly we're going to focus on the the whole season. And so you know, an ob- obvious points of interest first, you know, the defensive line. How's the defensive line? going to come along i think that is the number one area of concern like if you're a usc fan you're and you're wondering gee you know in matt what is the the foremost thing to worry about it is certainly that defensive front Corey foreman you know not a hundred percent healthy missed a number of practices so it there is a general worry from lincoln riley and also alex grinch that Corey foreman's behind schedule romello height uh also playing rush end as Foreman does. He hasn't been 100% healthy either. And so USC's pass rush, like that is, that is certainly something to worry about. But of course, the, the number one thing, more than the pass rush, it's rush defense. And I say that because you have that Oregon State game lingering in week four. You know, it's relatively early in the season. It's a road trip and Oregon State places its identity squarely on its ability to run the ball, put a hat on a hat and uh, power the ball between the tackles. And that is an offense that is not built to score 40 points. That's that's USC's offense. USC is the track meet offense designed to ring up the huge numbers. But you, Oregon State's offense, that's an offense designed to keep Caleb Williams off the field, right? And we all know, we can all say this with total confidence and clarity right now, that when we get to that week four game against Oregon State, the Beavers will want to try to control the ball for 37, 38, 39, 
you know, they would love to be able to get 40, uh, 40 minutes and just have Caleb Williams watching that game from the sidelines at Reeser Stadium. So USC's defensive front has to be good enough. Doesn't have to be spectacular, but it has to be good enough uh, to handle that test at Oregon State in late September. And if USC can get through that game, and we know that the 2006 and 2008 Pete Carroll teams lost in Corvallis, that hurt their national title uh, chances each of those two years. If USC can get through that Oregon State game in week four, the rest of the season sets up really well. And, and in terms of you know how many games is USC going to win, what bowl game is USC going to go to, Are, will USC make the Pac-12 championship game, will USC qualify for the Rose Bowl, um, that it, it really goes to the Oregon State game because you know Notre Dame obviously it's going to be a huge game. Maybe the first time in LA for Trojans Irish since 2018 because the pandemic wiped out the 2020 game. Um, USC Notre Dame kind of exists on an island, and we'll get to that game when it comes. We'll see what the stakes are, but in order for the stakes in that Notre Dame game to be extremely large. Winning that Oregon State game is so huge. That is that is to me the centerpiece game of the season. Not in terms of the amount of publicity it's going to get. You know, the Utah game in Salt Lake City in mid-October, that's going to be, you know, a Chris Fowler, Kirk Street game. That's going to be a game which is going to get a ton of national buzz. But in terms of making the season a success, Oregon State, that's the game that USC really has to win. If the Trojans can get past that threat, you know, they're not going to have a lot of tests at the Coliseum. But the home schedule, you know, other than Notre Dame, you know, in Pac-12 play is not that threatening. The Pac-12 was a very weak league last year. Oregon State, Oregon State, Oregon State. And that means the defensive line has to be able to stand up to Oregon State's quality offensive front. So, again, Trojan fans, the defensive line is really where you need to look. In terms of an area of concern, the secondary seems to have been developing and evolving in August camp. You know, Kalen Bullock, Kai Blackman, also Sierra Wright. Um, you know, the, those players have, have have moved along. But yeah, the defensive front. If you're looking for a, an area of worry, it's along that defensive line. Yeah, but I think that the, there is really an X factor that we haven't, I don't know, we've talked a little bit about in this offseason, or, or you guys have wrote about it over Children's Wire, that, that like the, the reintroduction of Brandon Pilly could really, I, I don't know if we really know what, what's going to be the case there. If he could return to form, I think that that changes, especially along the rush defense, that if you have a guy who, who you know, missed a ton of time like all last year and, and could come back in and really change things for you, I feel like perhaps you you feel a little better about it. I mean, Oregon State's going to run the ball on you no matter what. And unfortunately, with the first couple games of the season, maybe Stanford is, a, is an okay rushing team, but Fresno State's not really going to run the ball. Rice, I, I, I don't think that you should. I mean, maybe you install some things that you are preparing on later in the year. Um, but the fact that you're not going to get a lot of looks of rush heavy uh, early on before that Oregon State team, to your point, um, I, I think would be would, would rise my cause for concern. But I guess having that that big guy right in the middle that could be that run stopper could be a game changer for that line, no? It could be. It's just that the, the, the fact that his health has been such an ongoing, lingering concern. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten the sense from coaches in terms of what they've been saying in camp that like, okay, he's turned the corner, uh, that, you know, he's, he's established himself. I haven't gotten that sense. I mean, that doesn't mean it isn't true. It's just that, 
it's a wait and see situation. That's that's just the simple point with Brandon Peely. But if if he really is, you know, a fully restored or at least substantially restored player, like that's kind of like the Mets getting Jacob Degrom back in their rotation. You know, it's it's like they had a player already on the roster, but when he's been away for so long and you get them back, it's kind of like making a deal at the trade deadline. It, there wasn't an actual deal, but it feels like you're getting an acquisition. It feel like, feels like you're getting some big new piece that you didn't have before. So, yeah, like that is certainly the hope for USC with Brandon Peely up front. But uh, we just have to wait and see, you know, what he brings to the table and and how his durability uh, you know, is going to be tested uh, this season. And so, you know, certainly looking at the Stanford game, you know, I mean, you know, Rice Rice is going to be such a non-competitive game, at least I certainly would, would imagine so, that it's hard to get too much information or draw overly broad conclusions from that game. And whether whether the game goes very smoothly or or it's very choppy, it's all going to be about Stanford. You know, Stanford's going to be that first real pressure point of the season. And then we'll be in a much better position uh, to evaluate where the Trojans stand. If you if he isn't back to full health, if, let's say he's 60, 70 percent, would you prefer that over some of the other guys on the line on the defensive line? Like where, where else would you like to see them turn to to fix that hole that I mean was pretty, you know, we're, we're all aware of it heading into this season that, you know, USC's defense as a whole is a little cause for concern. But if you're pointing to any real part there, it's like you said, it's right in that interior line. Yeah, you know, in terms of one guy along the defensive front who has gotten some positive reviews in an August camp, Solomon Bird, the transfer from Wyoming. So he's gotten some some positive reviews from the coaches. So that is certainly a name to watch along the USC uh, defensive front. I think the broader one key point to make for all our listeners here on the Trojans Wired podcast is that, you know, in terms of the depth chart and, and uh you know, USC did not immediately release a depth chart. Lincoln Riley does keep his cards close to the vest. That's how he rolls. So that's not a surprise. But in terms of, you know, what's the depth chart looking like? Who's going to start? Who's going to be the backup? We shouldn't really focus too much on that heading into week one because against Rice, you know that there are going to be a lot of bodies rotating in and out. Scheduling Rice in week one is precisely designed to get a lot of people meaningful reps to get a lot of people some live action uh snaps on both sides of the ball so it's not too important who's starting against rice it's more about spreading out the workload getting a lot of chances to evaluate both the starters and the backups you know looking at the two deep um that that's really the function of the rice game so we shouldn't get too focused on the depth chart for Rice, it's much more about Stanford. Who starts then? Who and and that's when we're really going to learn. You know, who's the meal ticket? Who's carrying the load uh, for this team? And more specifically, the defense. That's when we're going to get a much better idea of what the pecking order is, where players are in their evolution. Uh, let's let's remember in terms of the value and importance of Week One, especially when it's against a not that great opponent. USC's defense looked amazing against San Jose State in week one last year. And then came Stanford in week two. And we all saw, oh, so that week one game really didn't mean uh, a hill of beans. 
So th- that's that's really the larger perspective about this Rice game. It's less about who starts. It's more about everyone getting, uh, you know, at least like 15, 20 snaps, you know, players deep down the depth chart getting a chance to play. So, you know, the, I think in terms of like the blueprint for how the Rice game needs to go, let's get Caleb Williams scoring 21 points in the first quarter, you know, our first 20 minutes, getting the huge lead. And then you can really start to focus on just getting reps for everybody. You know, like like Miller Moss should should be able to play uh, the fourth quarter in this game. I think if everything goes properly, because you want him to be battle sharpened in case you know the thing happens that we all hope never happens, and that is that Caleb Williams gets hurt. Miller Moss getting some work early in the season in this Rice game because you might not have the luxury of doing that. Uh, against Fresno State. Fresno State's a solid team. That game could still be competitive early in the fourth quarter. We obviously hope it won't be, but there's certainly a chance. But with Rice, like that, that game should definitely be put to bed by halftime, maybe the very beginning of the third quarter. We need to see a lot of guys at, at just about every position getting work. That is really the, the value and the hope uh, for this Rice season opener in week one. And everybody's staying healthy, right? I mean, that that's absolutely more than anything. Uh, Absolutely, you you bring up a good point with seeing guys as much as possible and and getting uh, enough reps across it. A lot of the time, what can happen with these blowout early season games is because the other team, and this is especially true for the defensive side of the ball, as we talk about it, because the other team isn't uh, producing long, sustained drives or uh, drives that take up a, a chunk of time. You really every snap becomes a little more valuable for each guy on the defensive side of the ball uh, for for each time that they're in. You know, you think about a guy you were mentioning the the secondary before a guy like Bryson Shaw. You had a great article over the weekend about his his move from Ohio State here uh, to USC and and what that could mean for him to each snap in that game that he gets going to be extremely valuable. Right. Because uh, there's a little bit of fitting into the process here. How's it going to look? And I, I think that secondary, that if you want to talk more about it, it, it probably goes as far as he goes with them this year. Am I wrong? I mean, I, I feel like if, if he's able to really be a leader, then you're a little bit in better shape. It's never going to be great, but you're in a little bit better shape. Uh, certainly. I, I, I mean, you could make a strong argument that Bryson Shaw is kind of like the hinge point player in the secondary. But I think it's a it's a broader it's a broader view or a broader reality in terms of you know Kalen Bullock at safety and Makai Blackman at corner. Like I think those those are the two most reliable players in the secondary. They're going to be like the two anchors of the secondary. And I think it's less about one guy supplementing them or helping them. It's more about the collective. And you know when USC was short on bodies. In the spring, Alex Grinch and the defensive staff were coaching players to play multiple positions, coaching them to play both corner and safety. So you could see a lot of mixing and matching in the USC secondary at the positions other than Bullock and Blackman, which seem to be the two positions that are locked down. I mentioned, I briefly mentioned Sierra Wright earlier. Now he's the guy who has, you know, both football aspirations and Hollywood aspirations. So he's been part of the uh, Space Jam franchise, and there were questions about, you know, was he truly committed 
to playing football. Well, coaches, the coaches have said in August camp, August practice, that he's made a significant jump in maturity. So, you know, just getting more from him, getting from right, getting more from all the various players in the secondary and, and many who have been coached to play multiple positions. You, know, you, you could just see a, a very fluid dynamic, but a dynamic where, you know, wherever the coaches plug in certain players, they're ready to perform. So I, I you can kind of see in what I'm, you know, trying to build in terms of a, a larger construct with this team and how we perceive it. It's less about specific individuals. It's more about finding depth wherever and players being ready to do whatever they're asked when the moment arises and whether they're playing as starters or whether they're playing as backups or in specific packages and situations, you know, the, the starter backup thing that just seems to be less important for me because finding depth means that you're rotating players in and that you're, you're balancing the workload and, and, and on a, on a defense, which is generally viewed to be relatively thin you're going to need to rotate players. You, you don't you don't want players to be overextended, to be given too much of a workload, not only in terms of the complexity of the assignments that they're going to get on specific plays from Alex Grinch. It's not just the complexity of the defensive playbook. You, you just don't want to load them up with too many plays. Like if you if you're a coach and you go into a game and, and a player knows that, hey, I'm gonna get 25 snaps. I'm not gonna get 45 or 50, I'm going to get 25. You know what? That creates a better chance that you're going to be mentally sharp on each play because you know how much it counts. You kind of alluded to that. You know, if Rice is going three and out, three and out, three and out, uh, <laughs> we'll wait to see if that actually happens. But, you know, Rice might not put that much pressure on USC's defense such that Rice will have fewer overall offensive plays. That means fewer opportunities for USC's defensive players to get on the field. So if a coach uh, impresses upon a, a player or a unit, hey, you're not going to get too many snaps. We're going to give you a certain number of snaps and it's lower uh, then your chances are you're going to invest yourself a little bit more in each play because you know how precious it is. But if players are going to be given, you know, a larger workload that invites the possibility that, you know, after a certain point, kind of like a pitch count in baseball, you know, you just wear down or your focus just briefly goes away and and you commit that one big mistake. So I think that, you know, lowering the pitch count, so to speak, and and making the, the workload much more widely and evenly distributed, I think that is something very important to establish in this week one game. You know, this, this Rice is the one cupcake on the schedule. Now, you could say that Cal... Uh, and Colorado are also going to be cupcakes. Uh, Arizona as well. Um, you know, there are going to be some soft games at the lower end of the Pac-12, but like Rice is the true ultimate cupcake. You know, the game where you, know, you, you definitely figure to be up three, four touchdowns uh, by halftime, and you can really then spend the second half, you know, focusing less about the scoreboard and more on just giving guys work. Like this is the game on the schedule where you are most likely to be able to do that. So this USC staff really needs to take advantage, really needs to play as many players as possible. Um, and also, uh, you know, the other aspect of this, 
why play your starters so much uh, before Stanford? You, know, you don't want to give David Shaw too much to look at on film. You want to just, you know, hammer Rice in the first 20 minutes and then keep it pretty vanilla, almost like a spring scrimmage uh, for the remaining 40 minutes, just giving guys basic concepts, basic packages, basic schemes. And that way you deprive Stanford of the ability to, to formulate uh, a more intricate game plan for week two. See, I'm 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 going to push back on you in a little bit in, in that regard. That I, I think that with it being a new system, with it being a new coach, and yes, they have gone through camp and everything; they're getting adjusted. But this is the first opportunity to hit someone else, um, and, and especially you know, not to belabor the point, but on defense, where you really are going to need to put a lot of time and energy into improving that that unit. Um, th- this is an opportunity to take the time in a low stress environment against an opponent to work out some of those kinks, work out some of the stuff that you'll need to when, uh, you know, you won't have that opportunity against your Stanford's uh, uh, against Oregon state, like you were alluding to earlier. So, uh, you know, I, I get the point of not wanting to show your cards, especially early in the season, but it is a luxury to have this as the first game of the season, right? First game of a new era in USC football against a team that, like you said, should be, you know, easily coasting by halftime uh, if things are going well to to a win. Uh, why not spend this time to like almost treat it like a glorified practice? Uh, but that also includes working the starters in working on concepts that you won't necessarily be able to do for the rest of the year. That's a great point. And I think you do raise uh, a, a significant insight in that. We, we could make a division between the offense and the defense, right? That, you know, the offense, this, you know, this is a Cadillac offense. This is, this is a, an elite offense with elite skill position talent. So like on that side of the ball, you definitely want to make sure that all the starters are healthy. So that's the side of the ball where you're definitely going to want to pull the starters earlier rather than later. But as you say, you make, you do make the well-informed point that, on defense, because of all the concerns, because you want to build more of an identity and and more of uh, a culture of toughness, that maybe you do play starters a little bit deeper in the game than you otherwise would. So that that's a really good point. I would say that at halftime, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley are going to have some very interesting decisions to make, uh, regardless of how the first half plays out. Like even if it's a super duper blowout. It's so that it invites the question of at halftime, you know, do you like keep the starters out there for like the first few possessions of the second half because you can give them coaching at halftime and you want to see how they respond to that coaching at halftime, you know, early into the third quarter. So like that is a very specific rationale. It's a very specific line of thought behind your point that you do want to push the defense a little bit more the defensive starters in week one to kind of squeeze more out of them and see if they're ready for the physical test that Stanford might provide in week two. That's going to be a very interesting tension point to watch. And and the thing about it too is so much of this is going to be in the margins. And I feel like with a lot naturally with a lot of what happens with USC this year is going to be compared to Oklahoma of last year, right? There's just a natural comparison that will continue to be made throughout this season. But I, I say in the margins because, you know, USC's scoring defense last year, right? 32 points a game, 98th in the country, I think it was. Um, what It wasn't great, right? But 
Oklahoma only like four points better, right? At 28 points a game. So that, and that was with a Cadillac offense, like you said, enough to get them over the hump and get them into the national picture. So those, those really, those marginal plays, those, the, the stopping the big play, the, the third down stops, these, these really minute specific things you can install in a, like I said, in a low pressure environment here against a team where you should have a high, high success rate. Let's say there's, you know, a third and four early in the second half for, you know, the game kind of just forget the scoreboard and let's look at situational defense. If you have a third down play, what, where, where does Alex Grinch feel comfortable? How can he sort of not tip his hand too much to the rest of the conference and the rest of the schedule, but also just kind of let the, the, the starters get comfortable to a style. There is a rhythm, there is a flow to situational defense, especially um, that, that you would need because a lot of the time you are reacting to what the offense is showing you. You you know you're 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 I guess second to react in in in, case, in terms of play calling. You have to be first to react in terms of the actual play itself. So that I, I think that 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 situational defense you can learn valuable lessons that carry over week to week uh, throughout the course of three months and a full twelve game season. No question about it. I, I, it the, the thing that I just started thinking about when you were talking was, wow, there was just a four-point difference between U, USC's average points allowed per game and Oklahoma's points allowed per yep. game last year. That yeah. is crazy. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. There, All there, of was this a so- six, there was a six-loss difference between those two teams. USC lost eight. Oklahoma lost two. And there was just a four-point difference like that. That is astounding, uh, and and, I, and it does go to the point that you know, and I've talked about this in the off season. You're like, what would be a, a, an acceptable points allowed per game total for USC this season? Now, when you look at you know the 32 last year, well, USC gave up seven to San Jose State, but then 62 to UCLA. So obviously, you know, when we when we arrive at an average, you know, we there. The point does have to be made that you can get some really you can, you can take all sorts of paths to that average. And and so if the path is, you know, you give up 45 in several games and you give up, um, you know, 18 in several other games. Well, that's bad, because if you if you're giving up 45 in you know, four or five games, well, you're going to lose most of those games, if not all of them. And, you know, you OK, you'll win the games in which you're giving up 18. Having several uh, disasters, so that obviously wouldn't be good. But I'm I am thinking of a more conventional path where, you know, if you're allowing pretty much within seven to eight points of that average consistently, so it's never too far above or too far below that average. So I'm on record as saying that if USC allows thirty a game this year, it's probably going to be good. Now again, you it could be like giving up 45 a bunch of times and giving up 15 a bunch of times. It could be, you know, that kind of aberrational pattern. But if USC is giving up close to 30, like that's kind of the, the implication here, but the implied meaning, if USC is giving up close to 30 consistently, I think that's going to be enough to win 10 games, uh, get to the Pac-12 championship game, get to a New Year's Six Bowl game. I think it's if USC is giving up in the mid-30s, that's the problem. But like this offense, 
you know, unless an opponent, again, such as Oregon State, is able to control the ball for 38 or more minutes, this offense is going to be scoring mid to upper 30s every week. Now, I mean, Utah, Utah might be the exception. Uh, also, Notre Dame uh, in the season finale. Uh, those could be exceptions to the larger pattern, but you know Washington State, uh, Oregon State, um, the other teams USC is going to play Fresno State, Stanford. If USC is putting up 38, 40, 41, 42, 45 points, th- that game's going to be a win uh, with with Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Travis Dye, uh, you know all the the elite skill players uh, that USC has. So you know the uh, the other teams. In the Pac-12, they're not going to be able to touch that. And so I think that, you know, a 30 points allowed, USC is going to need to win games 38-30, 45-35 this year. Uh, as long as that that allowed point total is not getting into the upper mid-30s, uh, I think USC is going to be fine. And like that. So that is kind of the, the saving grace for this defense is that Alex Grinch, he's obviously going to insist on peak performance, but he's also, I'm sure, Going to arrive, he's going to arrive at a point during the season where he tells players, "Hey, you don't have to be the hero. Like you don't have, you don't have to do everything. Let's just do what we reasonably can to help this offense win games for us. You know, let's be good in specific situations. Let's be good, you know, in specific moments of truth. But you know, you're not going to win every single play. That that is certainly a comfort zone that USC could cultivate as this season develops." As we're talking about points and, and this offense, I, I wanted to talk about, you know, the two studs on the outside. And and how how much do we think that they're going to play off each other? How how interested are you to see um, Williams be able to really throw one of the two open, right? If you if, if you can't hit Jordan Addison, then you can hit Mario Williams, right? Like you can play off of each other so well that it's really a pick-your-poison deal. I, I'm really excited to see how creative you can get because do you line them up on the same side of the field and exploit that speed that Addison has, do you, you know, split them uh, opposite each other and spread the defense out. There, there are a lot of creative ways that you can exploit this. It, it really, um, it, it does remind you of, I guess, like older Trojan teams when they did have those two stud wide receivers that you could go to, you know, first down through third down all the time. Well, I think you know, the, the biggest overall thing with making use of the wide receivers and, and, you know, USC does have an embarrassment of riches. The main thing is that Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams get a second year together. And also Caleb Williams is, you know, the man from the start of the season. And last year, and, you know, USC fans have certainly had to study up on Oklahoma football. That's part of why we did the Riley files this off season at, at Trojans wire is that we wanted to take you really deep inside how Lincoln Riley went about his business at Oklahoma. So, you know, in 2021, that was Spencer Rattler's team at the start of the season. It didn't become Caleb Williams offense until several weeks in. So, you know, Caleb Williams was thrown into the fire uh, and it's a different dynamic of coming in midstream as opposed to, uh, being the man from the start of the season. And of course, at USC, we know what this is like. You know, Sam Darnold relieved Max Brown several weeks into the 2016 season. And only then did he become, you know, the great quarterback that he fully uh, evolved into uh, at USC. So in 2017, Darnold was the starter from day one. He was the unquestioned uh, big man on campus. So, you know, in 2017, what happened that year? That's the last time. 
USC won the Pac-12 championship. It's the only time USC has won the Pac-12 since Pete Carroll left. So there's an obvious comparison between Caleb Williams and Sam Darnold. And also just having a, a full off season in Lincoln Riley's system leading up to a season in which you know Caleb Williams knows that it all depends on him. It all starts with him on offense. I think that just the clarity of Caleb Williams processing of reads, you know, knowing knowing where to look, knowing where to go with his first option, you know, knowing how Lincoln Riley's play design works and how these plays are going to open up opportunities for Mario Williams, for Jordan Addison. Um, Caleb Williams' understanding of the game is really the biggest reason to feel optimistic about USC and Lincoln Riley being able to maximize these very high-end options at wide receiver. I want to play a little bit, a, a little game with you on Caleb Williams while we're here, because you know you had said as he goes, USC will go, and I want to just test how you feel, how much that actually will be. So. Fill in the blank on, on kind of how you see USC's season going from here. I'll start with this. If Caleb Williams is in the Heisman Trophy mix come November, USC is blank. 10-2, and Pac-12 championship game, New Year's Six Bowl game. And you're confident that, that his play will directly like attribute wins. Just straight, there is a, there is a straight line in between those two points. Yes, and the other thing is, specifically with regard to your point about the Heisman mix, let's just realize what the Heisman Trophy is. Not what it should be, all right, but what it is. The Heisman Trophy is an award for the top quarterback on a college football playoff program. That's what it is. Bryce Young was not the best player in college football last year. It was either Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan or Bryce Young's teammate at Alabama, Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball. But the Heisman has basically become the best quarterback on a college football playoff team. That's what Bryce Young was. That's why he won the award. So if Caleb Williams is, as a point of fact, in the Heisman mix, that means USC is doing great. That means USC is checking the boxes. So just specifically in connection to the Heisman, that's why I filled in the blank uh, in that particular way. Let's go to the other side of things. Caleb Williams only had four interceptions last year, and he was very good at protecting the ball, you know, in terms of interceptions. But let's say that doesn't go that way, especially against some good defenses in there like Utah, like uh, Notre Dame at the end of the year that you're going to face. If Caleb Williams throws 15 interceptions this year, USC is blank. Not going to achieve any of its goals. Like that, that is pretty clear. Like if you're if you're having a, an increase in interceptions uh, by 11, you know, four to 15, that is a lot of extra turnovers. The USC defense is not built uh, to win if Caleb Williams is turning the ball over that much. Okay, a couple more for you. Let's let's look at the injury bug. If he can avoid it, if Caleb Williams does not play all 12 games, USC is blank. Uh, it would certainly depend which games he missed. Uh, so like that, that's the variable there. Like maybe, maybe he gets a, the slightest injury and he misses a game against Arizona or Colorado or Cal, you know, Miller Moss can win those games, uh, on the schedule. But if he misses any, a game against a remotely decent team, USC's in big trouble. Let's put it that way. I'm finally one more for you. He threw for almost 2,000 yards last year. 
if he throws for 3,000 plus yards this year, USC is blank. Probably in good shape, but the other thing is, is he, you know, is he rushing for 1,000 yards in addition to throwing for 3,000 yards? That's the other piece of the puzzle with Caleb Williams that he brings a level of running ability that no other USC quarterback has ever had. And I know that Sam Darnold was really good outside the pocket, and I know that Rodney Pete, you know, back in the late 1980s, you know, was a very mobile and athletic quarterback. But Caleb Williams brings an entirely new dimension in terms of running ability like Caleb Williams is capable of ripping off a 75 yard touchdown run he's capable if you watched him especially in the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game you know he can just take off if, if defenses are not disciplined in terms of uh taking away his running lanes and keeping him chained to the pocket he is just going to burst uh in the open field and he has some he has an ability to be shifty make people miss in the open field so it's not just the throwing yards, but also Caleb Williams popping off some big running plays when defenses are tracking Jordan Addison and Mario Williams 40 yards down the field and the defense doesn't uh, keep containment at the line of scrimmage. Caleb Williams is just going to take off and he's going to get 30, 40 yards a pop. Yeah, just looking at it now, he had rushes of 74 yards against Iowa State last year, 66 yards against Texas, 59 yards. Uh, against Western Carolina. So, um, you know, definitely had the ability to pop off that. But I, I am interested to at how much you think one player, like, runs a season. And in college football, we, we've seen that in the past. I feel like as though some of the, I guess maybe not with Bryce Young last year, um, that, or, that we've seen in the past that one guy isn't really the guy that's going to take you in that regard. It, we've gone sort of, towards a little bit more of, um, you know, even in this age of quarterbacks, your Johnny Manziels weren't competing for national championships, right? The, the, the idea that that one guy can get you eight, nine wins, but isn't going to bring you to the mountaintop. Yeah, one well, and, it, you know. Maybe there are, like, with, exceptions with, like Trevor Lawrence. I'm probably going to talk myself out of this as I go, but, you know, yeah. I, yeah. Well, the in terms of the one quarterback carrying a team, I mean, it, you know, that – relates to the amount of depth and the amount of quality elsewhere on the roster. Like a great example of one guy carrying a team pretty much all by himself to the national championship game, Michael Vick at Virginia Tech in 1999. Like that is certainly a representative example of one guy. And right, what but my we, point is that's 23 what can years we say, ago. Right. But what can we say in comparison between Caleb Williams and Michael Vick? Like those were two do-everything players and they had the ability to run 80 yards for a touchdown and throw 80 yards for a touchdown. And, like, not many quarterbacks can do that. But Caleb Williams and Michael Vick certainly belong in the same silo, the same basket in terms of having that elite kind of capacity. That is that is kind of the recipe for being the kind of quarterback who can say, hey, climb on my back. I'm going to carry you all the way. Uh, you know, in terms of, like, let's say Bryce Young at Alabama – you know, he had, you know, other elite players to help him. Certainly he had elite wide receivers such as Jameson Williams. Uh, and, you know, he had Will Anderson on that defense. And, of course, you know, if Will Anderson and the Alabama defense don't hold Auburn to 10 points in regulation in the Iron Bowl, Bryce Young doesn't have a chance to tie that game in the final minute. You know, it was 10-3 heading into the final minute. Alabama's defense had to be good enough uh, in that game. So that, like, that's part of the – 
the equation in terms of when we talk about quarterbacks being able to carry a team, USC's defense being weak, like it, that reinforces the idea that it has to fall on the offense. And when we talk about the USC offense in 2022, it all starts with that one guy, Caleb Williams. As we look through this schedule, is there, you know, college football fans like to do this where they point to a number and say the season is a success or a failure based on if there's more or less of this number. Sometimes I I don't really love playing that game because you can go sometimes eight and four, seven and five and still end up in a college champ, uh, you know, a conference championship game. So how do you define success if that were to happen? If you end up, you know, going nine and three and getting rocked in a Rose Bowl, even if you win a, you know, a, a Pac-12 title, is that success? So there, there are different caveats to it, but would you put a number on number of wins as, you know, year one of Lincoln Riley, year one of this experiment, that, that this is sort of the benchmark that you want to see? Absolutely. You know, and one th- what do we know about Lincoln Riley's track record in Oklahoma? Never lost more than two games in a season. So for that reason and for the, the reason that, you know, 10 and two gets almost, almost surely gets you to the Pac-12 title game, you know, assuming that one of the two losses is to Notre Dame, that means an eight and one record in the Pac-12. Uh, 10 and two gets USC most likely the Pac-12 title game. It will definitely get USC a New Year's Six Bowl bid. Uh, and you know, that, that is the standard like that for year one with these concerns about depth, with these concerns about line play, especially on defense. And, you know, given the reality that, you know, if you don't get Lincoln Riley now, if you don't beat him this year, oh, wait till 2023, wait till 2024, when he builds the depth, when he gets more elite recruits, when he builds more momentum, uh, on and off the field. You better get USC this year. And so if the Trojans can go 10 and 2, if they lose twice, but only twice uh, in this regular season, that is a definite success. 9 and 3, that'll depend on, you know, the, 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 you know, how badly they lose their three games. And, you know, maybe if they go 9 and 3 with one of the losses to Notre Dame, that means they go 7 and 2 in the Pac 12. Well, maybe Oregon stumbles. You know, maybe Oregon goes 6 and 3 in the Pac-12, and USC can still get to the Pac-12 championship game. So if it's 9-3, and three, it becomes very conditional. If it's 9-3, and three, you know, if USC can still get to the Pac-12 championship game, that's okay. Like, that's reasonable. But if 9-3 and three means no Pac-12 title game, and it doesn't mean uh, a New Year's Six Bowl, then that's a definitely a failure in year one. 10-2 and two is a success. I think there's a very clear line of delineation now if some of you are studying the various college football over unders you know that that over under number in some places it's 8.5 in other places it's 9.5 i'm not thinking about you know the over under i'm just thinking about 10 wins gets usc the kinds of goals and the kinds of postseason prizes that one should expect from usc football on a regular basis like you're playing in a big bowl game you're playing in the pac-12 title game 10 wins, 10 and 2 in the 12 game schedule. That is clearly the target for USC. Maybe the Trojans will overshoot it. Well, let's not get too greedy in year one. 10 and 2. If USC can do that, it's a very good year for Lincoln Riley. You mentioned Notre Dame as obviously the tough game at, at Utah, the, the big one in, in conference play. 
We talked about Oregon State at the top of the show. If there was one of those other ones, though, that would surprise you that might come out of nowhere, is it, you know, is it UCLA probably right off the bat that I'd go to? But what, what could be the possible stumble game or two in there? Uh, I, you know, I think I think USC drills the heck out of UCLA. And I, and I would I say that not just because it's this is a USC podcast, but because that's going to be late in the season and late in the season. You should see this team. You should see this defense in a much better place. That's why I'm worried about Oregon State, because it comes early in the year. But UCLA is late in the year. I think the Washington State home game, like I know USC crushed Washington State last year. But you know what? Jake Dickert did a really good job with the Cougars after Nick Rolovich uh, was pushed out because of the COVID uh, controversy up in Pullman. He's a good defensive coach. The players buy into what he's doing. And the thing about Washington State, Cam Ward, the transfer from Immaculate Word, like he's received a lot of offseason hype. Now, maybe he won't live up to the hype. But if he does, if hypothetically Cam Ward does live up to the hype, then Washington State's ceiling rises significantly. And the Cougars host Oregon. You know, that that's going to be a tough game for the Ducks. If there is a spoiler, if there is a team that could be a fly on the ointment uh, that could, you know, bust up the expected <laughs> the hierarchy. <laughs> the, the, well, it's, the, it's Tim Brando's phrase, and it's college football season. So had had to uh, pick that one up. Uh if there is a team that can bust up the expected top three of Utah, Oregon, and USC, my my choice uh, is Washington State. I mean, I because I, I am picking USC to beat Oregon State, so that takes the Beavers out of the running to be that spoiler in the Pac-12. So I think that Washington State is kind of the mystery team, which ha- which you know, if Cam Ward is the real meal deal. Uh, that that team could be much better than a lot of people currently think. I agree with you on Washington State. So I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that you would say that, but I I think you're 100% right. I think that they could be a lot better than people think. The other one... You're, you're, you're surprised we're agreeing? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, sometimes I am surprised we agree, Matt. <laughs> but the other one that, that uh, I didn't hear you say was Stanford. That, that one just being so early. Um, a night game on the road, you know, it could, it could wind up. I, I know I don't have a lot of confidence in Stanford this year, but just something about that early on might cause, might, might give me some pause. Um, yeah, but, but I, it, I just want just to, just to jump in on that. I think that it's good for USC to get Stanford early rather than Stanford getting USC early. Now, you know, having said that, like USC will be working through some issues. So, you know, the, there is certainly value in playing USC early. I get that. But, in terms of flipping it to the Stanford side, it's a young team. David Shaw has a great recruiting class, but that recruiting class won't be as advanced in its evolution. So you're probably, you know, late in the season, you're more likely to see Stanford being really good rather than early. So I think on balance, while, you know, USC could certainly lose that game. Like if USC plays terribly and they're, the, the problems that are on this roster, the flaws, the limitations – if they manifest themselves at a, at a very, on a very large scale, well, then USC is going to lose no matter what. But I would say that on balance, it's better to play Stanford early rather than late in 2022. Might not be the case next year, but certainly this year. Just the, just one for you on uh, on the Rice game. I, you know, it is Lincoln Riley's first game inside the Coliseum. He's going to have the fanfare of it. What do you think that's going to be like for him just to experience all of, you know, 
uh, student body right and everything that, that's going to go along with it. This is obviously his, you know, introduction uh, after this long red carpet has been rolled out with what feels like forever um, to, to finally be in front of all those fans, a full Coliseum and what that's going to be like for him. I got to imagine that, that that's like a goosebump feeling moment, even though he's, you know, obviously gone through Oklahoma and everything there. Um, but, but to have something as special as, as that for, for his first game, I'm sure it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's going to be a special life moment for him. And I think, the, you know, in terms of deriving some real world importance from that, you know, everything that you've said, I think Lincoln Riley is going to say, you know, if his team struggles or if his team, you know, is, is not very sharp or not very clean or airtight, he's going to say something to the effect of, hey, look at these fans, look at this turnout, look at this environment. Fans are so hungry for us to succeed. You need to do your part, you know, speaking to every player, you know, to make this project everything it can possibly be. I think there's certainly going to be something said in that vein if this opener is not very smooth. And to be honest, though, I want some ugly aspects of this opener. Like, I don't want it to be a magic carpet ride where everything goes just right. Obviously, I want it to be injury free. That is, you know, priority number one very easily priority number two, three, four, five, six. But then after that, you know, assuming everybody stays healthy and we get that box checked, I want this to be an ugly opener, quite frankly. Like I want players to see that they can't coast on their talent. They can't coast on, you know, an adva- a perceived advantage in skill relative to the opposition. I want players to have a lot to come out of this rice game with a lot of teachable moments so that the staff can look at film and say, Hey, this is exactly where you need to be better. This is exactly what you need to improve on so that the team is not overconfident heading to the farm in week two. You know, so Rice, the Rice game, in addition to just giving players a lot of work and working off the rust and getting, giving them an understanding of Alex Grinch's defense and Lincoln Riley's offense, in addition to all that, this Rice game also needs to set up that Stanford game and really just kind of provide the right kind of catapult into the season so the players learn the right habits. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. There, There is, you know, the, the thing that you're going to get from this rights game is, like you said, points one through eight is is stay injury free. That absolutely has to be um, on everybody's mind. I, I, I can't, you know, imagine uh, a world, if, if we're talking this time next week, uh, you know, and we're thinking Appalachian States, I, something went really like a situation like that. Something went really, really wrong here. Um, so I don't I don't think that that really this is um, a game that you're watching for the X's and O's. I think you're watching it for the Joes um, and, and to see who's who's making plays, who you feel comfortable with, who you have a little bit of a, you know, let's keep an eye out on this guy for better or for worse. So I think that this is, um, you know, obviously a game that counts, but a great way to start your season to a new era in a new situation. Like th- this is the way to ease yourself into it. And I think USC fans should be very comfortable at, at that. This is the way they're going to start the year. Now if we're talking disaster this time next week, you know, feel free to, to, to erase all of what I just said in the past 30 seconds, um, men in black style, but um, barring, barring a catastrophe uh, it, it should be a good, easy start for the Trojans to begin the year. Absolutely. Well, as we wind up the show, I just want to say folks that, you know, at Trojans wire, the website, uh, we've had a special all time series, the all time USC offense starters and backups. You know, they, 
the, the ground rules of this series, and it's done at our other College Wire sites and the College Wire Network, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, et cetera, that the, the guidelines provided for this series were you got to just pick two, a starter and a backup at, at each position. So if you're doing USC running backs, like we had to leave Marcus Allen off because Charles White was number one, OJ Simpson was number two. You're going to have to leave some Heisman Trophy winners off the two deep. But anyway, we have an all-time offense, all-time defense, all-time special teams, head coaches, and assistant coaches. Those are all up at our website. We also have our Pac-12 preview series where we pick every Pac-12 game. We also have the most important Pac-12 games of the year. We have Caleb Williams' situational statistics from 2021. Uh, Lots of other features up at the Trojans Wire website. So we certainly want you to visit the website in addition to listening to our podcast that you're taking part in this audio presentation with myself and Ian throughout the season, but also that you're going to Trojans Wire for continued coverage. Also want to mention every Tuesday at one o'clock in Los Angeles, really like 105 actually, a few minutes after one, you want to follow my show where Trojans Wire talks to Mark Rogers, you can follow him on Twitter, Mark Rogers TV at the Voice of College Football, our USC live show every week. And there will be a USC post-game show with Tony Altimore, Tim Prangley, and LBC Trojan. Uh, those three guys, Tony, Tim, and LBC, uh, they're going to be doing the USC post-game show at the Voice of College Football. You also want to check that out on YouTube. Uh, Mark Rogers TV on Twitter, that's where he's going to tweet out the links to those YouTube shows. You can all just, just go to YouTube. So we have a lot of different things going on at Trojans Wire, the podcast, the website, our YouTube show. You want to stay in touch with all of those outlets over the course of the season. Ian Hess, it's been great to have you back. We'll do it next week here on Trojans Wire. Here's to a great season for USC, also for your Miami Hurricanes. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, Matt, looking forward to it. College football's back, baby. Thanks for joining us on the latest episode of Trojans Wire. Thank you.